Thank you for being here today. Today's a special day, and there are some unique aspects to this service. If you didn't know that ahead of time, you're about to figure out that this is a little bit different than a normal worship service. One of the core values, among others, in the founding of this church was we're going to be a church that sounds like a church, that looks like a church, that acts like a church. One of our convictions is that increasingly, as the church has tried to reach the world of the culture at large, the church has unfortunately become less and less distinctive from the culture itself and at the heart of the gospel is a countercultural experience. And your experience today in this worship, there's no way that you will be able to think, hmm, that didn't seem very much like a church or a church service. Today will feel very churchy. Uh, with the elements that will follow after this brief reflection I'm going to do this morning. Consider this to be about a half of a normal sermon. I was reading notes this week of different uh, things that were shared and talked about in the beginning of uh, our church back at the end of 2016 and the beginning, uh, the end of 16 and the beginning of 17. And I read this uh, from a document dated July 2017 from Tim Keller. The continual planting of new congregations is the most crucial strategy for the growth of the body of Christ. The planting of new churches is one of the best ways also to revitalize older churches in the vicinity. The average congregation then will bring new people into the life and the body of Christ at six to eight times the rate of an older congregation of the same size. Why is this so? As a congregation ages, powerful internal institutional pressures lead it to allocate most of its resources and energy towards the concerns of its members and constituents rather than the people outside of its walls. Only if we produce thousands of new church communities that regularly, sorry, that regularly win secular people to Christ, seek the common good of the whole city, especially the poor, and disciple people to Christ. Seek and disciple people to Christ. Thousands of Christians to write plays, advance science, do creative journalism, begin effective and productive new businesses, and use their money for others and produce cutting-edge scholarship and literature, will we actually be doing all the things the Bible tells us, us Christians should be doing? This is how we will begin to see our cities comprehensively influenced for Christ. And then lastly, he says, our goal as Christians is never to simply build our own tribe. Instead, we seek the peace and the prosperity of the city or community in which we are placed through a gospel movement led by the Holy Spirit. John Stott, the great British preacher, said that when people become Christians, they undergo two conversions. The first conversion is from the world to Christ, and then the second conversion is from Christ back into the world. We are a community that is committed to conversion unto Christ and equally committed going from Christ back to the world. Luke 10 is a fascinating passage on ministry. The main idea, and really only one point I want to make this morning, I'll make a couple comments on the one point, is simply this. God has called His church to mission. God has called His church to be a missional community. 
following in the steps of Christ who simply stated that he came to seek and to save the lost. When we started this church, we didn't start it because Knoxville needed more steeples. We started this church because Knoxville needs the gospel. At the time when we started this church, a recent survey had been done that stated over 80% in the larger Knoxville area, over 80% of people never darken the doors of a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church with any regularity here, even in Knoxville. Christendom has passed, and it's time for Christians to engage people that aren't Christians. It's time to seek and to save the lost. It's time to follow the steps of Jesus who said He did not come for the righteous, but He came for the unrighteous. He did not come for those who were well. He came for the sick in order to spread the good news. The church is a hospital full of sinners where people relapse all the time. The church is one beggar telling other beggars where we found bread. This is what we exist for. Mission exists because worship does not. Mission exists because worship does not, and we must be a missional community. A.W. Tozer said, sometimes Christians seem to be fuzzy and uncertain about the nature of God and His promises in creation and redemption. In such instances, the preachers are often to blame, and this is back in like 1960. There are still preachers and teachers who say that Christ died so we would not drink, and we would not smoke, and we would not go to the theater. No wonder people are confused. No wonder they fall into the habit of backsliding which, when such things are upheld as the reason for salvation. Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on a cross, and rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. God has called His church to mission, and we must go. This is not a field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. Guess what? They won't. And they're not. And so we must go. We must go strategically. We must go urgently. And we must go with joy. One of the things I love about this passage, I imagine Jesus, of course, metaphorically, like in the locker room with the 72 on the whiteboard, like a coach drawing up a plan and a play to commission and to strategically advance the gospel. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories of the great Larry Bird. Was known actually as a pretty significant trash talker and had an ongoing feud with a player named Xavier McDaniel. And at one point towards the end of a game when the Celtics were down by one, they were huddling to draw the last play. And Bird quickly took over the huddle, even from the coach, Casey Jones, at the time. And Xavier McDaniel has their huddles broken, uh, not on the same team. And the Celtics are still meeting in their huddle. And Xavier McDaniel starts to kind of like eavesdrop into the Celtics huddle for their last play in order to win the game. And well documented, Bird gets out of the huddle, looks at Xavier McDaniel and said, here's what's about to happen. They're going to throw in the ball to me right here. I'm going to shoot right there and the game's going to be over. Whistle blows, they throw the ball into Bird, he's standing right there, he shoots, and they said Bird was in the locker room before the ball even went through the net. It was a great plan. <laughs> Jesus has a plan for his church, it's strategic, and here's the calling for all of us. We're not called to be successful, 
We're called to be faithful. That's what it means to be on mission. We also are called to enter in with urgency. The text tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I've got a friend who went to college at Samford University, and colleges like Samford University actually have people, I think, occasionally come preach, which is a little odd, maybe in a public university setting, but not so odd in that setting. This is a very well-known Reformed Baptist preacher at the time, just 20 or so years ago, did a three-day conference. And, you know, it was a great movement and really encouraging, and people loved it. And uh, my friend talks about he and some of his friends going up to talk to the speaker at the end of the conference as they're engaging different things about what he preached on and taught on or whatever. And one of his friends, you know, a wise crack college kid, says, hey, um, I got a question. And, you know, the preacher's assuming this question would be like the other questions that are asked of him, like, what does the Bible say about this? Or And this kid said, I've noticed you've been here three days in a row. And you've worn the same suit and the same tie every day. Like, what's up with that? And this preacher looked at him and he said, Son, there are people dying and going to hell. And you're worried about what kind of clothes I'm wearing. Might have been a harsh answer, but it was true. Heard the story just this past week. As a preacher was talking about an urgency to the gospel... And how we, at least historically, this is a little less relevant today, urgently need to tell people and make sure they know they left their lights on. Because if you don't turn your lights on, off, what's going to happen? Your battery's going to die. And then this preacher says, and we feel no urgency to tell people about Jesus when their soul is going to die. We're more urgent to tell people to turn their lights off than we are urgent to hear, for people to hear the good news of the gospel. Gospel ministry is strategic, and gospel ministry must have an urgency about it. I was reminded of this last weekend. Some of you know that I lost a very close friend and mentor in that, um, from Memphis, as a pastor in a plane crash in Texas. Many of you followed that story nationally. The same preacher that talks about the urgency of the lights off and the gospel is the one that did the homily in the service, and it was amazing. His name's Ronnie Stevens. And at one point, he sent an extremely compelling and sharp challenge, particularly to people that would be outside the boundary of Christianity, maybe thinking that things like the resurrection are simply myths. And he said, let me ask you something. How much do you think you know about death? And then he said, I want to tell you that no one has ever known more about death than Jesus. And he did an amazing kind of survey in the New Testament on what basically made Jesus an expert on death. And then he looked at the congregation at this funeral and simply said, do you want to bet your life on the fact that you know more about death than Jesus? You ready to bet your life on that fact? There's an urgency to our mission and to the gospel. But then lastly, there's this joy. And this is the thing I love about this passage. And I particularly would say this to our leaders, to our pastors here. Burnout in ministry is an extremely real thing. 
I just read, actually, that the greatest restaurant in the world over the last 10 years, Noma in Copenhagen, arguably the happiest city in the world, it's closing. It's closing because it's been deemed unsustainable. It's an unsustainable pace to continue to produce that level of food and meals, an institution where people aren't just utterly worn out, where you're constantly preparing things for other people that are going to change their life and you're ruining your own life while you're seeking to do that. As a result of it, the restaurant is closing. And I want to ask this question in closing to our leaders, but to all of us. How do we not grow weary in ministry? How do we continue to fulfill this mission? How do we keep a sense of urgency and strategic mission and plan to carry forth this beautiful message of seeking and saving the lost? We don't lose sight of what God's doing in our own life. You see, these people went out, they followed the plan, and it worked. And they came back, and they were fired up. They were having fun. And by the way, ministry should be fun. Church, and I mean this in the deepest way, should be fun. And they were having fun, and they came back, and they were telling Jesus all about how amazing it was that the ministry took place and what he said had happened. And then they were sharing stories, and it's as if Jesus said, that's awesome. But then he literally says, do not rejoice in this. Rejoice that your name, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, when we do mission and ministry, God is at least, if not more, interested in the way He's transforming our own hearts and our own minds as He is in those to whom we are seeking to minister to. And that, I believe, is the anecdote to burnout in ministry, in mission, is finding delight. As the prophet Zephaniah, Zephaniah tells us, that God rejoices over his people with singing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you've called us to mission. We thank you that you let us participate in your great project of redemption and restoration of all things. We pray today, particularly as these leaders, these elders, these deacons, deaconesses come forward, we pray that they would experience and feel your delight and that that would be the thing that they rejoice in the most. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.